Before our reading this morning, let us remind our hearts of the promise the Lord made in Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Today's reading in Revelation is chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Please take a moment to turn to the text in your Bibles to follow along. The reading will also be behind me on the screen. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning sun, the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Okay, you can be seated. <clears throat> Have sound. Welcome uh, to the parks. Welcome to our weekly gathering. My name is Jake. I'm one of the elders uh, here. If you're new, we'd especially like to welcome you. Uh, would love to say hi uh, or visit here after the service if you have uh, time for that. So we have been in a series on Revelation. How's that going? You guys enjoying that? Yeah? We'll see if that holds true after today. <laughs> now, we, we, we find ourselves in Revelation, and, and specifically, we are in going through the letters to the churches. And the letters, to, uh, for me personally, um, are really one of my favorite parts uh, of the New Testament. They're, they're, they're actually love letters. And you're probably thinking, man, that's a, that's a love letter? Um, yes, yes. Just kind of hang in there. Uh, we're going to see, I hope, that, that this isn't just... Uh, a manuscript uh, to be studied or some truths to, to take out of it, but it, it's actually this picture into Jesus's heart uh, for his church, his heart for his people. Uh, what's important to him, uh, how he thinks about circumstances uh, is really kind of all laid out in what we're doing. And to me, these are, are right up there with uh, John uh, 15 through 17, if you're familiar with your Bible. If you're not, John is just a, it's another book that the same author that wrote Revelation wrote. It's a, it's a biography of Jesus, and it just, it lays out his heart uh, as well. And so it's just beautiful language about the heart of Jesus 
for his church. And so I want to revisit a, a few orientation elements before we, before we jump into that, really for, for two reasons. One, I want to challenge our kind of up and to the right view of how things should go. So good looks like up and to uh, the right. And, and I want to challenge us in, in, in terms of how we look at what, how God does what he does, uh, how he chooses to go about that, and, and specifically, how should we expect the kingdom to come? How should we expect the kingdom to come? And so we're going to look at Jesus' posture and, and what's important to him this morning as we, as we unpack this letter. I also want to challenge us on the view uh, of these churches themselves. So we, we've gone through a couple of these now. Uh, there's definitely some things to improve upon here, but I don't want us to, to grow numb uh, to that. They definitely have some things going on. Uh, but it is a very, very hard uh, time to follow Jesus uh, where, these, where these folks live. So I want to spend a little time unpacking that before we get into the actual text. So today we're in Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira is one of the seven churches that Jesus wrote a letter to in the book of Revelation. Thyatira is the, the smallest of the cities. So if you think like Ephesus and Pergamum, what we've been going through over the last uh, couple of weeks, that's like Dallas-Fort Worth. And Thyatira is kind of like Mount Pleasant, where my boy Chris is from, okay? It's small, but it's a lot of spirit, okay? They were probably just thrilled to get a letter, okay? Like they're just small. It would have meant a lot to them uh, to be able to receive from something from Jesus like this. And I actually think it, it gives us, even, even in Jesus writing a letter, to the church of Thyatira gives us a, a picture of his heart and what's important uh, to him. So where they find themselves, I want to go over this in case you're kind of joining us for the first, uh, the first time today in Revelation. Um, after Jesus' ascension, so after he kind of ascends to heaven, uh, the church has this explosive growth period. Uh, the book of Acts, which, which many of you are familiar with, it's like this history of the early church. There's this thousands coming to faith at a given time, right? We see that over and over and over. Missionaries being sent out, churches being established. There's 30 years of, of really kind of this up and to uh, the right. Things are, things are looking really good um, until about 64 AD, so 30 years into the life of this, this new church that Jesus established. 30 years into that, an, an emperor named Nero uh, becomes emperor of Rome. And it, it kind of starts to go downhill uh, from Nero. Nero is the one who officially institutes government-sponsored persecution of the church. So historically, uh, the church had to deal with the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders. But now the full weight of the Roman uh, culture and apparatus is, is, is set up against the church. And a year after that, we see Peter and Paul uh, in the same year brutally publicly executed. So imagine everything's going well, and all of a sudden, your, two of your strongest leaders are, are pulled into the streets and executed. From there, uh, Vespasian takes over as, as emperor from Nero, and he, he's even worse. He's the guy, maybe you've heard stories or seen, seen kind of uh, things around this. He's the one that would stake a Christian to a pole, cover them in oil, and light them on fire so that he could walk in his gardens at night. Awful guy, right? Terrible. Feed people to animals, throw them in prison. Uh, just keeps coming. In 70 AD, Jerusalem falls. Rome kind of just gets tired of messing with them and destroys Jerusalem. Uh, and that just continues, continues into the 90s when Domitian kind of takes over as Caesar. And he says, I'm God. And anyone who claims that I'm not, all of these bad things happen uh, to them. So Revelation was written around 96 AD. 
And by this time, the church had suffered for 30 years, deep persecution. We don't really have a context for this, not really. Uh, maybe think for some of us, uh, 2020, like kind of got a little flustered in 2020, but imagine that for 30 years, 30 years of 2020. That, that's kind of how they were feeling. Heavy persecution, there is zero political, economic, or social benefit to following Jesus. So let's keep in mind, like as we go through, especially the correction today, these folks knew the cost of following Jesus and they were living in a really difficult time. So picture this church that loves Jesus, but is exhausted. They're exhausted and they're trying to make their way in a tough world. Their hands, I kind of had this visual this week, kind of like their hands on their knees, just exhausted. And Jesus shows up to John and he says, pick up a pen, I wanna write a letter to my brothers and sisters in Thyatira. So let's jump into the text. We're gonna go through this uh, line by line and just kind of see what Jesus is saying. So the first, he starts with, he does this in every one of his letters. He starts with this reminder of who he is. So it's 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So all of the letters start this way. It's this reminder of who Jesus is is. It's a reminder of his power. And I, as I kind of read this, and it's, it's so strongly worded. I don't know if this happens to you, or sometimes you're, you're reading scripture, and just the, the power of it, your, your body almost responds before your mind can, or your spirit can, where it's just kind of like this, this desire to kind of like, you can feel the power and kind of the majesty of what Jesus is saying. This is kind of happening here. He's using the term, I am the son of God, just stating his authority. My eyes are like a flame of fire. We have this visual of Jesus's piercing gaze, that it, his ability to see uh, right through, to burn away. Um, and it's really kind of beautiful for this, this church here in this small place like Thyatira, he sees and he's there. We have this feet of burnished bronze. Uh, this would have hit close to home. So Thyatira was a trade city. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, they were famous for their bronze work. And so Jesus saying, hey, uh, my feet are burnished bronze. I am here. I have a strong foundation. Uh, it's been refined by fire and I stand unwavering. And so as I was reading this this week, I was, I was trying to put uh, myself, and I think we should here, uh, within their context of having this read over us. How would we feel coming out of 30 years of just difficulty having this letter uh, read uh, to us. I just kind of got this image. You, you, maybe you remember the disciples who were in the boat, uh, storms all around them, and Jesus shows up and just speaks peace, and this calm comes over. I kind of had this visual of this happening to the church. You could almost audibly hear this breathing out of the church as they just feel the Lord's power and feel the Lord's control. Take note of his posture here. Does Jesus sound like a person who has lost control of the circumstances? in this church's life. And so every letter, uh, we've been going through this every week, every letter there is, there's three kind of main parts to it. There's an affirmation, there's a correction, and there's a promise. So we're gonna do a little work here and unpack those, those three things, and then we're gonna spend some time together uh, praying at the end and letting the Lord move and work. All right, so affirmation kind of opens with an affirmation. Uh, you not only know, but are growing. You not only know, but are growing. Verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceeded the first. So compare this to Ephesus. We looked at Ephesus a couple weeks ago. Um, Ephesus had a handle on the doctrine. They knew the doctrine, 
uh, didn't tolerate false teaching or, or, or a lack of holiness, but they had zero love. We find the exact opposite here in Thyatira where uh, they know how to love. They're, they're not, they don't only have love, have faith, care for each other, are enduring, but they're growing in those things. And what a, what a gift to have Jesus kind of speak that over you. Uh, the person who is love coming in and saying, I'm proud of you. You're, you're growing in love. You're becoming more like me. And then he moves into his correction, but you are compromising on holiness and tolerating sin. So let's, let's spend some time on this. Let's read through this one more time. Verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, anytime we see the word behold in scripture, it means pay attention. Pay attention. I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each according to your works. So hard turn, hard turn here. So let's spend some time in unpacking this part. What, what's going on here? All right, so the issue in Thyatira is there's a false teaching that is leading to a tolerance and a participating in, in sin that's just culturally normal for where they live. Ultimately, it's, it's a low view of holiness. It's a low view of, of sin, of being set apart, is, is kind of the summary. And so he's so upset about this that he refers to this teacher as Jezebel, which is, which is likely not her name. Uh, Jezebel is, is a reference, just a, a little bit on the history there. It's, it's more of a reference to a type of person. So it's a, it's, Jezebel was a queen in Israel about a thousand years uh, prior uh, to this. Uh, you can find her story in Kings if you're interested in kind of reading up on her, but I'll give you the summary. She was, she was super talented, very gifted, had the ability to convince people of things. So she had a lot of front-facing gifts is maybe some common language that, that we would use here. Um, but she uh, led people away from God. She led people away from God. She, she would kill the priests of God, set up her own temple to the person that, this idol that she uh, wanted to worship, and then she would lead the people of Israel um, into that kind of sin. And specifically, the kind of sin was, was the kind of eating of food that had been offered to that idol, which is, which is kind of a form of idolatry, and then uh, also leading people into these, these sexual practices that had to do with the worship service itself. So this kind of unholy spiritual um, kind of moment. Uh, so her name is, is commonly used as, as a type to describe physical or spiritual adultery. It's not a compliment uh, to be called Jezebel. So where is this coming from? Why, why this teaching? Why this in Thyatira? So Thyatira, they faced heavy economic pressure. Uh, last week, the church was, it was more, had more to do with physical challenges. This week, it's more economic. Uh, there were a lot of guilds in their city. So think trade union, like there's these trade unions that controlled all of the labor. So it's a trade city. So think plumber, electrician, textile, things like that. And each of these guilds, they had their own idol. They had their own God. And so to be successfully economically, you had to be in a guild 
And to be in the guild, you had to worship these idols. And most required, similar to Jezebel, most of them required some sort of um, food that was worshiped, that was offered to idols, combined with some sort of um, unholy sexual experience that was a part of the worship experience. It was also both this physical and spiritual adultery that they were uh, leading them into. And this false teacher was teaching that it's not just okay, it's not just okay to participate in these things, but was somehow marrying the things of God uh, and the things of, let's call it the economy, the things of God and the things of the economy, and referring to these things as deeper things. So if you want to follow Jesus the, the deep way, like these are the things that you need to be thinking about. This is what the true believers do. And we, we can kind of mentally kind of think about what she would be saying there. So something like, hey, God knows your heart. What stays out there is, is it stays out there. And in here, we're holy and out there, we're not. Um, ec- economics are important to the kingdom of God. Like we can't just shut down or not participate in the economy because we need resources to be able to advance the kingdom. Economics are important. It's my mission field. We could probably hear them say, like, I, I need to participate in these things so that as I participate, uh, I'm able to tell them about Jesus. That, that's why I'm there, so it's okay. Some, some version of partial holiness. I'm going to be in the world and of the world so that I can do well economically, uh, and I'm also going to follow Jesus. There are these two things that are just incongruent. They don't go together. And it's probably, that's totally foreign to us, right? This mixing of economics and, and the kingdom of God. Yeah? All right. So maybe you're saying, hey, I'm not sleeping with anyone to get a job and I'm not doing any sort of these like food things or tolerating false teaching. Uh, but are you sure there aren't any idols in your life that are getting your attention, that, that, that you're compromising your obedience, you're compromising your holiness in order to participate in this thing. And I wanted to offer up maybe one that we can relate to, uh, which is this, this idol of, of mammon. Now, if you're new, new to the church, this is just a, a church word that's, in summary, wraps up the entirety of the economic system. Okay, so it's more than just money. It's referred to as money. It's a little more than that. And, and the promise of the idol of mammon is that you can have abundance with no dependence. You can have abundance with no dependence. That's what mammon promises. So are, are, we, are we making a different kind of sacrifice than the sexual or food sacrifices? Maybe we're sacrificing uh, time with our family or, or time in community. Maybe we're hurried or busy or anxious uh, as kind of this offering to the economic system. Maybe we're compromising our integrity at work, cutting corners on deals, whatever it may be disobedience uh, to something that the Lord is asking us to step out in faith on. And we, we, we do this thing where we kind of wrap it all up and we say, man, I'm just dreaming. I, I, I just, the good I'm gonna do once I get past X, Y, Z, the good I'm gonna be able to do, how generous I can be once I get to a million dollars or a hundred dollars or whatever that number is for you. Or how about the ability to retire? If I can just get to retirement, a comfortable retirement, I kind of have this plan. Um, once I get there though, I'm gonna be able to do some ministry work. I'm gonna be able to, to, to obey what the Lord is asking me to do. I just need five more years, just five more years, 10, 10 more years of, of 
compromise and 10 more years of tolerating these things, then I'll be able to step into these places. And look, I work in the marketplace. I, I know this wrestle. I know this wrestle. And so I want to challenge us this morning with, with how we're thinking about that. Like, to what degree, and this is the question for us, to what degree uh, does our willingness to follow the Lord hinge on our autonomy from external dependencies? And I, I realize that's, that's kind of wordy, so I'll, I'll maybe say it simpler. Uh, to what degree is our obedience tied to our comfort? To what degree is our obedience tied to, to our comfort? I'm good, Lord. I, I'm, I'm good with holiness as long as there's no risk. I'm good as long as I can be comfortable. I'm good as long as I don't have to rely on anyone. I'm, I, I'm really good with abundance. I'll take it. But I, keep the dependence. Like I kind of like being able to kind of do and have control over my own thing. We're a lot more familiar with this than, than maybe meets the eye. And so Jesus has this very strong reaction to this. This is the longest letter. Appreciate the teaching team teeing me up with that. It's the longest letter. <laughs> and he's talking to both the teacher, so Jezebel, who's leading the, these folks um, kind of into this, into this sin, but also to the church for, for participating in that sin, for tolerating that kind of sin for a lack of, of holiness and then teaching and accepting that it's okay and, and letting, it, letting it run. He cares really deeply about holiness and he desires holiness for you. So one of the things as I was kind of sitting with this this week that really hit me in the text is, is actually what he's not saying. What he's not saying, what he seems to just not be uh, really concerned with when, when, he's, when he's teeing up this correction. So let's, let's put ourselves back in his shoes, back in, or back in the shoes of uh, the church here. So the political situation, the government's persecuting and killing people. We can't get jobs or we're at a minimum having a hard time finding a jobs because of our beliefs. Socially, we're excluded. We're not able to participate. We're kind of outcast. And it's been going on for a really long time. And Jesus shows up in power. And what does he want to talk about? Are we going to talk about reclaiming political power? Are we going to talk about redoing the economy so that we can get back into that kind of up and to the right trajectory, maybe start some businesses, maybe some nonprofits? That would be really good. Uh, is that where we're headed uh, with this? And he bypasses that. Did you notice that? Like he bypasses that without even a mention, and he goes right at the heart. He said, I'm the one who searches hearts, and I see this in you, and I want it. I see this lack of holiness. And, and, and I want it. We don't compromise on holiness is where it goes. And I think if we're honest, we're sitting in that seat, having lived under that 30 years of difficulty, I think this would have caught us off guard. I think our desires would have been for circumstantial change and not this deep heart change that Jesus wants to jump into and, and, and apply the gospel too. Now, I don't think this means that he's not concerned with circumstances. Don't, don't mishear me. I just, it gives us a picture of what he's most concerned with as we look at this, which is that the how to Jesus, the how is uncompromisable to him. He's the king. It's his kingdom, his way. And he's showing Thyatira and us love, faith, service, patient endurance, and holiness. His how 
is uncompromisable. And there, there's suffering and there's pain circling around. These, these, these people aren't immune from that. And Jesus' eyes go straight at the heart and say, I want that. I want that. I want your whole life, no partials. This is how the kingdom comes. He's giving us a picture. You want to know how the kingdom comes? It comes through holiness. That's how the kingdom comes. And then he offers a promise. And this is where I just want to step back. I just want to let the the literature be literature uh, and just kind of like let us hear and listen to what Jesus is saying here. Because I just feel like his, I don't need to add anything to it. His words just jump off the page in terms of how much he loves his people. So I want to go through um, the one who conquers. So any, anyone else's, anyone's translation say to the one who overcomes versus conquers? A few of you? Yep. All right. So I want to use overcome. There's a few ways to translate it. I like, I like overcome. And I just want us to listen. Just, just listen to this uh, read over read over you. And I want to start back. I'm going to use a few different weeks here just so that we can kind of get the buildup of the totality of what Jesus is, is saying to the one who overcomes. To the one who overcomes, first week, I will grant to eat at the tree of life, which is in the paradise, paradise of God. He's saying, I will restore shalom. I will restore peace. I will restore communion where I'm walking amongst my people. To the one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. This shalom, this communion will be forever to the one who overcomes. To the one who overcomes, I will confess his name before my father and to the angels. And not only will I do that, that's next week, to the one who overcomes, I will give him a new name. I will give him a new identity that only he and I or she and I will know. There's this intimacy that says, like, our relationship is, has its own name. I love you so much. To he that overcomes, I will give hidden manna. I will give provision over your life to the one who overcomes today, to the one who overcomes, I will give you my inheritance. My Father has given me authority over everything, and I want to share that to, with the one who overcomes. With the one who overcomes, I will give them the morning star. When the night is the darkest, the morning star appears. I will give you hope. I will give you myself to the one who overcomes. And so if we let it, love is just bleeding it's bleeding off these pages if we, have, if we have ears to hear. These letters are not written from some sort of distant observer who wants to send in some, some moral teachings. It's written by a person with an intimate presence, an intimate presence. And so kind of in closing, to he that overcomes. So how do we, how do we overcome? How do we overcome? The umbrella answer to that is, is surrender. We, we overcome, actually, we conquer through surrender. That is what it means to follow Jesus. But I, I, I want to spend some time today on some very specific things as we're, we're, we're dealing with how do we fight against tolerating sin? How do we fight against compromising holiness? And I want to get super practical on this. So I'm going to walk through a few things and we're going to do these things together. The first, how, we toler- how do we fight against tolerating sin is that we start with ourselves. That's how we fight against tolerating sin. We take an inventory of, of where we are tolerating sin in our own life. Where are we compromising? We name it. How are we fighting against tolerating sin? We have to name uh, that sin. And I, I know some of us, you know, they're like, man, I don't, I don't tolerate or compromise anything. And I'm like, man, I believe you. And so I want to level the playing field 
And I want to I go a, a little deeper in terms of what Jesus is really talking about when he says I don't tolerate it, okay? So I want to use, uh, actually, Dallas Willard here, uh, kind of tease it up for us. Uh, the litmus test for true Christian spiritual maturity is whether or not we are able to spontaneously love our enemy. Our ability to spontaneously love our enemy. I want to use the word instinct here. Is it our instinct to love our enemy? Is it our instinct? When, when someone disrespects us, is it our instinct to love them well? Or how about when a, a beautiful woman that's not our spouse catches our gaze or a story or an image pops up in, in our news feed? Is, is holiness our, our instinct in those moments? Or how about when someone gets the success or the thing that you were wanting, when they get it and you don't, is, is, is celebration with them, your instinct is loving them while your instinct. Is anyone still standing? I can keep going. <laughs> so obedience is primarily behavior oriented. It's primarily behavior oriented. Our mind plays a big role in, in obedience. We're getting to choose that. Holiness is primarily, is primarily character oriented. It, it has to do more with instincts. You have to have obedience to be holy, but holiness is deeper than that. It goes all the way to the heart. And so our heart plays a really big role in holiness. Our instincts play a big role in that. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the one who searches mind and heart, behavior and character. I search. To not tolerate sin, to, to, um, you have to name it. And we've got a long list that we can all start with. Next, we have to confess it. Man, that's tough. Confession's tough. Um, but I want to kind of reframe that a little bit and, 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 and turn it into what it's meant to be. Yes, it, it can be scary. But confessing means agreeing with. It means acknowledging. It means say, it's saying, yes, that is ugly. Yes, that is this, this unholy thing. It, it, it allows us to, when we confess, it allows us to grieve that sin together and to receive love. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So three, three weeks ago, uh, I had this really difficult day at work, and I was just back-to-back, and difficult meetings, and I, I just got really flustered at these, at these some people, image bearers of God. I was very flustered, <laughs> and it stuck with me, and I couldn't get it out of my head. Has that ever happened to you where there's like this, it just replays in your head, and you're just like, man, if they could just see, if they could just see how wrong they are, if they could just see how right I am, you know, some version of this, I just got stuck. In this, in this cycle, and it, it, it went on for two days, and it was absolutely ridiculous because I, you know, I, I, we Sabbath uh, Friday evening to Saturday. I was, I was worthless, uh, really, to my, I was distant and, and not present with my family, my friends. We, we celebrate Sabbath together. Uh, that Saturday, I had to go to this thing, and I'm supposed to show up and, and, and love and serve well and, and lead through things, and I just didn't do that. I just didn't do that well. And I'm on my way to pick up my kids from something on Saturday evening, and I just felt the Lord's presence um, enter, enter the space in just like a really unique way. And I could just sense, I could, I could feel it, that the Lord's saying, uh, this is not love, what you're doing, this thing that's in your head. You're, the only person that you're loving is yourself. Yeah, the only person that you're loving is yourself. And immediately I could sense, I forgive you for that. I want you to forgive yourself for that. And I, I wanna heal that. I want to heal that. And so I sat there 
feeling fully loved, no shame, just fully loved. And I had this desire to want to share and confess that with my, my people that I, that I walk really closely uh, with. And so I text a friend of mine. I say, hey, this happened. This is, this is like, um, man, I just want to confess this is in me. This is in my heart. And, and we just had this moment of being able to say, yeah, that's, that's ugly. That's, that's not from God. Yeah. But I had this moment of being able to receive that love uh, from my brother. I talked to my wife about uh, this thing. And, and so, so we're kind of bringing this into the light so that I can receive love from uh, my community. It's just a part of that healing. And it's a long road. It doesn't mean, hey, Jake is now fully healed of, of his selfishness. Actually, in fact, Wednesday, uh, I, was at, I was just, you can come next. You can be next. Uh, we'll just kind of, I was, I, was <laughs> I was at work and, and I just had a, rough, I had a rough morning. And it's like, and you're probably saying, hey, man, you're an elder. You're supposed to be slow to anger. And, and I am, which should tell you how difficult these people are. <laughs> And so I storm out, storm out of my, storm is a strong word. I, I, I walk out of my office uh, frustrated and, and I'm, I'm frustrated. Why? Because I need to sit down and write a talk on not tolerating sin. You know, gosh, I need some, I need some help. We need each other. Inviting people into these moments of weakness, inviting them into, into our process for repenting and bringing this before uh, the Lord, it allows us to receive love when we know we don't deserve it. It allows us to receive the God, not just, to receive the gospel, not just understand it. And Tessa, you guys, you guys can come up. It, it, the reason these community is important is because uh, John Orberg said it this way, and this is, this is kind of how I'll close. We generally sin alone, but we heal together. We sin alone, but we heal together. And I want to make the case that we heal between the tables. We heal between two tables. And what do I mean by the spiritual formation following Jesus? It primarily plays itself out around tables, not, not around um, stages. Now, look, look, we love that you're here. Uh, the Sunday morning experience is, is a critical part. It, it is an irreplaceable part of the church. It, it is where we come to worship and to celebrate. But we primarily fight against tolerating sin in relationship, in relationship, around tables, not necessarily from auditorium seats and certainly not from computers. We come to two tables. There's two tables in our lives. There's these tables, which we're gonna spend some time around together this morning. These tables and the tables that we live around. Receiving love from these tables, communion, receiving love from remembering what Jesus has done from us is what allows us to give and receive love around the tables that we sit at. Healing happens between the gospel and the church. That's where healing happens. So we have to fight for that. Not tolerating sin or increasing in holiness, whether it's sexual sin, false teaching, Jake's deep heart issues of which there are many. It grows towards instinctual where truth and love coexist between these two tables, between the gospel and the church. But it's not inevitable. It's not inevitable. We don't just show up and these things happen. It requires intentionality. It requires a giving of our whole lives to this. We apprentice under Jesus. We follow Jesus in community. We do that together. 
with our whole lives. And so we're gonna spend some time in prayer this morning. We're gonna put these things into practice. I'll kind of give you the structure, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be just some, some open space for us to spend some time with the Lord. And this is just kind of how we're gonna do it. We're gonna, um, and you can do your own thing, but, but I'll guide us through this. We're gonna acknowledge who he is. We're gonna spend some time listening, listening for the Lord to speak into places we're compromising places where we're tolerating sin in, in, in our lives, in our hearts. And then we're gonna speak, we're gonna confess, like, yes, Lord, that's not, that's not from you. We're gonna grieve that, we're gonna grieve sin. And then we're gonna come to these tables together. We're gonna come to these tables together and receive what's been there all along, which is a deep love for you from the Father. So let's do it. You can do it however you want to do it. I'll kind of guide us as we go here, but I just want to start our time with just acknowledging who He is, acknowledging who's in the room, who's sitting beside you. The presence of God is here. So let's just acknowledge who He is. space to talk. Let's just go into listen mode. This takes courage. Invite him. Invite him to look at your life. Invite him to speak, to identify, to name. Let's acknowledge this sin to the Lord. Let's, let's, let's grieve it. Lord, would you break our hearts for what breaks your heart?
come to the tables, ushers, you guys can come down. Sin is sin is grieve, grievous. Sin is death. Kind of walking to these tables together it reminds us. It reminds us that His love is greater. It's His kindness that leads us to this place of repentance. It's His kindness. And he looked at, he knew this sin before you did. Whatever, whatever the Lord brought to your mind, he knew it before you did. And he looked at it. And he knew that there was no way. There was no way back. And he said, I'll go. I'll go. I'll make a way. I'll make a way where there was no way. I'll give them my holiness. I'll give them my righteousness. And so we can come boldly. Paul reminds us of this. We can come boldly this morning to the tables as a family. No shame. I know some of us are struggling with deep shame over our past. Some from many years ago some from last week. Shame is not from the Lord. In fact, it says Jesus despises shame. And so we can come boldly, honestly, to these tables as we remember. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll grab, we'll grab those elements. Father, I just, would your spirit continue to minister to us as you have all morning. I just pray love would fill this place. That chains would be broken. Change from 60 years or 60 minutes, your power frees the captive. Pray freedom would reign, grace would reign. In Jesus' name we pray.